Hi, Kyle. Hi, Jer. Hi, everyone. Welcome to How to Draw Without Dying, the show for artists who struggle. I'm Jer. I'm a comic artist who's been drawing... I'm a software engineer who's been drawing comics since he was seven. (laughs) And I am... uh, (laughs) And I'm Kyle. I'm a writer and artist with a flair for the melancholy. And we're here to talk about making art and enjoying art, especially indie art, here in the modern world. Because it's incredibly difficult. There are some challenges involved. We are streaming live from my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash ironoki, where we are chatting with the, with the community. We're drawing. Uh, what are you drawing tonight? I'm working on my horror comic of this light. Tonight, I'm just going to be drawing in my sketchbook. Jer, Ye- have you ever felt happy but wanted to feel sad instead? No. I get that a lot. <laughs> Never. I- not once, not even a little bit. That's not something I'm after. I, I, I get that a lot, but... Sometimes when I pose that question to a big enough room, there will be one person in the corner who just kind of raises their hand and goes, me, me, I do. (laughs) Um, I actually love that pitch of yours. Uh, You Mm -hmm. and I have done uh, cons together and you've, you've introduced that as like, hi, this is, this is, have you ever felt happy, but you wanted to feel sad? And yeah, it, it really does connect you to your target audience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I like writing dark things. I like writing sad things. I like consuming those things as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's art or music or what video games, what have you, I am. Uh, I've got a flair for the melancholy. One yeah. might say. Uh, but this this is not a a thing for everyone. Uh, but like. It's also true that I haven't liked every bit of dark writing I've come across. It's a tricky... Writing in in and of itself is tough. It's hard to write well. And writing dark stuff that's ultimately enjoyable, that is is giving people the feeling they want to feel when they are looking for the macabre or the melancholy, you kind of got to hit it just right. And Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to hear you talk about this. Now, this is not a topic I have much to say about, so I'm along for the ride. But what I did bring today is uh, I I made myself a nice little list of all the uh, a lot of the sadder stories, primarily movies that that I've enjoyed. And uh, and I want to talk about about kind of like what I think made those good. Well, for my part, my sort of artist pitch, so to speak, my my uh, well, artist statement is actually the official thing is that. I believe it's my job as an artist to guide my audience deep down into the darkness and deliver them safely to the other side. I like things that can allow you to experience negative and uncomfortable feelings in a safe and controlled space. And there's a catharsis that can be gained from that. That's what a lot of old, like, tragedies and stuff were sort of going for back in the day. I find it interesting that uh, you and I have talked about how I tend to prefer happier, more uplifting, positive, cute, nice stories, and you definitely have a flair for the melancholy. And we both come from sort of the same starting point where we've been through some dank emotions in our life. We've been through some bad shit, and we have successfully come out the other side. And where I go from that is I like the optimistic i like the the cheerful and happy and nice i like finding i like finding the colorful and bright things in a dark world and so i like to create that Mm -hmm. whereas 
go ahead. <laughs> well, like, it's not that I don't like those things, too. Mm. I just, I don't get a lot. I, like, the darkness definitely makes the light parts brighter, if that makes sense for it me. It does. For starters, a dark story with no hope is not really something to be taken seriously, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Uh, and that's actually one point I'd like to give. Uh, this is sort of something I definitely like struggled to understand growing up uh, and getting started writing is if something is only dark, there's no, there's no end point to the darkness. There's nothing to fight for, no hope. That's not serious. That's funny. <laughs> that that is that is a level of extremes. That is an example would be the 40k universe. That the the as I understand it, origin of the term grim dark. That universe is what it is because that extreme is a version of funny. And I think there like there's there's a place for that too. But like if you're trying to say something, you, there has to be some kind of hope. There's got to be some call hmm. to action for your audience to get the catharsis from, if you know what I mean. Kyle, uh, you, yes. you've, heard of, you've heard of lorem ipsum text, right? The sort yes. of like fake Latin that we use to, uh, to fill in things in, in graphic design. Do you know what lorem ipsum actually means? I, you know, I have read the paper fully translated, <laughs> nice. but I can't remember a thing about it at this particular moment. So it's actually... Uh, a, a slight slice of the fra- of the words dolorum ipsum, which translate mm-hmm. to pain itself. <laughs> I thought mm-hmm. you'd like that. So the paper that you've read, uh, that, that lorem ipsum comes from, is a, a treatise on the notion that people don't do painful things simply because they're painful. That there is some joy or pleasure involved in the painful thing. And... Inversely, people do not avoid pleasurable things simply because they are pleasurable, but because there is some inherent pain that they seek to avoid. And it's kind of like mm-hmm. a, a logical statement about why do we like the bad things? And I think it really speaks to your philosophy on the macabre and, and the melancholy, which is that like going to the dark places helps you find your way back to the light. On that note, like, this is sort of something I I recommend to writers regardless of what you're writing, but keep in mind why you make the decisions you make, like why you go for the tone you're going Mm. for. Uh, Like, what what does going for a dark story, a grim story, what what are you accomplishing with that? And is what you're accomplishing in line with what you want to make? Mm. Uh, That's one of the, like, early, uh, (laughs) particularly in early fan fiction groups i was a part of some people who really really liked the dark story like they they thought that the darker it was the more serious it was but again it just kind of like it, it ended up something i kind of had to chuckle at because there wasn't a lot of substance there so i guess what i mean to say is like have have a reason for for why you're going for the tone you are mm. it doesn't need to be a good reason <laughs> the reason can be i love that like <laughs> i love i love the just absurdity of of true grimdark stories it can be the uh i mean one of my like favorite game series is devil may cry which is just it is just true Mm. edge it is campy edge everything is red and guts and the the equivalent of 
wearing sunglasses makes me cool. Like it. it but Kyle, uh, yeah. what's his name? Woke up to justice. It's it's an <laughs> uplifting positive story where the main character says "Waha, woohoo, pizza." It's it's a happy. Yeah, the first one wasn't really though. <laughs> it was just badly acted. <laughs> I I jest. Um, <laughs> Dante is is he is Dante, and Virgil <laughs> sure is Virgil. For a long time, uh, and this is kind of a. Like we probably had this conversation on the podcast before, mm -hmm. but I didn't know horror was a genre I liked. Even as I was already describing myself as a horror writer, I thought I didn't like horror. Yeah. Uh, and then I kind of realized that like it's I I don't like a very specific subset of horror that was very prevalent. I don't like American horror movies. Is what it's coming down to. I particularly don't like American horror movies in the theater, but we'll get to that. Uh, well, all right, all right. Actually, yeah. I would like to start there. What makes good and ma bad macabre? You know, we we typically go towards the jump scare and the Mortal Kombat esque bad end. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like when I think of American cinema horror, I think of everyone died in just preposterously gruesome ways. And the scares were th the thing jumps out at you. Don't so, don't care for oh, that. Go ahead. I wouldn't even necessarily call American horror bad. If we're talking about hey, experiencing feelings that make me uncomfortable in a safe place, American horror movies do cater to that, mm. but they cater to like a what's around the corner anxiety, mm. which is not really something I have. I have. My anxiety is subtle and powerful and quiet and loud. So when I'm going to an American horror movie, it's not helping me process those things I'm feeling in my daily life in a safe place. Mm -hmm. It is providing new negative feelings ah. that I don't actually have to deal with. Being in a movie theater makes it worse because it is not a safe place. When I'm in a movie theater, I feel like I can't leave. I know I can leave. But the part of my brain that's just like, I paid $20 for this, I can't, I, I'm not allowed to waste any of it, yeah. is very strong. And that definitely makes the anxiety worse. Uh, like I said, like what I brought today was like a list of the things that, uh, that I considered sad stories. And I'm thinking right now about like what, or d dark stories, I should say. Like what? Mm -hmm. What made the what made me consider these like dark stories? And I'm seeing the good people die is one thing that's common on this list. The ending is bad. The the you we didn't win. We super lost. Is mm -hmm. is a thing. Um, and then it's just um, the facing of life's sadnesses. Mm -hmm. So on uh, like the first three I listed were Inside Out, Up, and Coco. Mm -hmm. which have big scenes of like loss and 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 sadness and and the the inability to have the thing that would make you happy living an entire life that fell apart <laughs> in the case mm -hmm. of up 300 the the story of the battle of thermopylae as told by uh i forgot the guy's name we're talking the, we're talking about the movie or the comic uh both 
I, I, I read read the comic and saw the movie. Uh, I like both for different reasons. And ultimately, it's a story about like a bunch of guys that went to defend their homeland and fucking died. They lost. And it's like... And like, don't get me wrong. The, the both the movie and the comic are fictionalized to yeah, all hell, but a, they are a love the, story uh, to to the to the Battle of Thermopylae. But yeah. which, yeah, while, while while it is very fictionalized, that that battle is actually pretty cool in the historical sense too. Uh, Frank Miller is who I'm trying to think of. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know what's really interesting is to hear it from the other side, uh, from the from the uh, the Persian side, which is like, yeah, it was a little bit of a skirmish. Some guys stood up to us. We we beat them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like not even a page. Yeah. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Hey, that good, good person died. What's your favorite song in Hamilton? Probably, uh, "Here Comes the General" because I am a I am myself a Virginian, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and I kind of like I kind of like Washington's uh, depiction in there. Uh, and then the last two I have two others, which is "Green Mile" and "Dead Poet Society," mm-hmm. and one in parentheses because I never actually saw it. I actually read the cliff notes instead of watching the movie "Eternal Sunshine," but hmm. where that movie goes is one of the most interesting places a dark story can go. And I kind of want to end on that. But, uh, so that's, that's what I brought to the table. And, and why is just like, there's, I, I know why these things are good. But you're the expert. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, one of the reasons why I asked you what your, um, what your favorite song was is because mine is Satisfied. Which is a really, really good song about a woman realizing she's never going to be with this guy she really, really super likes. Realizing that the person you feel the most connected to in the world is not the right person for you to be with because of reasons. And actively setting in motion a scenario where you can never be with him. Mm Mm-hmm. That shit's fire. <laughs> it's pretty fucking good. I am privileged enough to have seen actual Hamilton in 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 a theater performed. Good God, it hits you like a truck. Mm-hmm. It is like they they do. It's such an amazing job. I it, I was not. It was not original cast. It was a uh, second second cast, I think. But uh, fucking yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer that you asked that question because it's like, oh, my favorite's not the not the sad one. I know that's what you're oh, looking no, for. No, no, no. I, I, I wanted to talk about again, like the difference in tastes is that even within a sad story, we can find different parts within that sad, different stories within that sad story that's, that we. I see what you attribute. To. I see what you're saying. Yeah. While Hamilton, because I I'm I'm going to that because I've been thinking about it recently actually, oh, and. Uh, while Hamilton is overall a sad story, is a tragedy, almost in the classical sense, it has moments of happiness, it has moments of hope, and it has a lasting positivity to the world, if not the title character. It, it, there, are, there are moments of, of happiness with Eliza and Hamilton, and even though they go through some shit in the course of that musical, by the end, Eliza's a a, a better person, I'd say. It, it's not really a better person, but... Eliza starts doing a lot of good for the world in part because of what her husband did. Mm-hmm. Um, there there are happy moments within a sad life. 
uh, there's one note in, in Eliza's final song, just like, I lived like 40 years after all this. Yeah. <laughs> I lived a long <laughs> goddamn time after all this dumb nonsense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to bring up, since you have seen it now, uh, Chainsaw Man. Let's talk about Chainsaw Man. Uh, over that was our that was our Halloween party this year. Today is actually uh, uh, November second, and we just had our mm-hmm. we just had a nice nice chill Halloween as a group of friends. Uh, Kyle hosted a Halloween party, and we sat down and watched the entire first season of Chainsaw Man. That's a macabre story, I would say. Uh huh. A couple things. First off, uh, again speaking to our different. In- tastes there was a point very early on where you said you know kyle if this wasn't your favorite thing i already would have checked out yeah but again for me it's an incredibly cathartic story Mm. it's it's a story about a i mean there's there's i i could summarize chainsaw man's story metaphorically in a million different ways but at its core it's about a guy learning to self-actualize when he's had nothing um and one thing I'd like to point out, like, and this can be uh, another strength of, of dark writing, is the character Makima, uh, who is a great litmus test for what people have been through. Mm. You said something at the start of the first episode when she first shows up. It's like, okay, why does why does a woman showing up and being just nothing but nice, uh, uh, you know, make me want to fight? Like, that's not normal, right? It's like. That's because you've been through things. I've been through things, and we can tell that Makima is bad news. I think I, I fighter. I don't remember exactly what I said. It wasn't that I wanted to fight. Like it's. It, I think I said it was like it was giving me major anxiety. Seeing a character like that and a character deal with that in fresh eyes, you know, like we for the first time with fresh eyes, can. Again, it is a safe place to relive certain experiences mm. where you can see a different resolution, so to speak. Um, I I think back to my, uh, I'm going to use the term of abusive relationships here, yeah. and that is a bad thing for me. That That is traumatic flashback, literally like anxiety attack inducing. Watching Chainsaw Man, though, allows me to process those feelings, and every time I watch Chainsaw Man, and I've watched it too many times, the worry about those previous anxiety anxiety attacks gets uh, just a little bit less powerful. That very much reminds me of the, the concept of exposure therapy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I actually, <laughs> I had a coping mechanism when I was young that I'm going to say isn't healthy, But it was pretty healthy for the age I was at the time, which was if I was feeling too many bad emotions, I would watch something or read something that made me that emotion really, really hard until the emotions just kind of short-circuited and I didn't feel them anymore for a bit. And yeah, no, there there were certainly some times when I was younger that I don't think I would have made it out without that coping mechanism, that like ability to control my emotions through media like that. Mm. I guess the whole topic of this is, like, how to write darkly. I've done all this preamble talking about why it is important to do so. Mm -hmm. Um, And really, like, all it comes down to is, like, what are you trying to say? Like, the the, the first thing you should be asking yourself is, like, what are you trying to say with 
making something dark? Uh, what are you trying to make your audience feel? And how can you guide your audience to feel those emotions with the story you're, you're doing? I am a low setting on the art blender kind of writer. I, I do very much try and encompass things I've felt into my writing in a not quite one-to-one -one, obviously I've never been trapped in a bizarre horrific other world unless you include it in, in unless you count Indiana but um honestly the earth is getting there <laughs> but a lot of the stuff that happens in OTL is me processing things I've been through retrospectively mm. so to speak with the lessons I've learned from those in mind uh, it's certainly me trying to communicate previous feelings, and I hope, and reading it, I can, again, instill and safely deliver my audience past those negative feelings. I have a question, and I think this yes. is actually going to touch a little bit more on uh, why to write darkly, which, which I, honestly, when I look back at the way that we tend to have these conversations on the show, it's... it. When we say when we talk about how we will start with why, so yeah. I think that's definitely within our format. So you and I both made a comic each uh, that was very much introspective, emotional, and 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 like actively used to process some dank shit that we've been through. I created <sighs> Overjoyed, which is a cross between Avatar: The Last Airbender and and uh, Pixar's Inside Out. I personified my own five emotions and and kind of created this this situation where they were powerful like benders and had to deal with the fact that they could just break break the earth. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was a it was a twenty page story. I uh, recently printed it. Um, and copies are for sale. Are, okay, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's hard to do that. It's hard mm -hmm. to promote yourself. Anyway, um, so that's a really cute thing that I made. I'm really proud of it. I think I made an adorable and really emotional, important thing. You created The Punchline is Death. When you got The Punchline is Death printed, uh, the folks at the print shop said, Hey, Kyle, this is really funny. Are you okay? <laughs> Vi and I was yeah. getting ready for a con and was really strung out on caffeine yeah. at the time, so I'm sure I didn't look it. <laughs> um, and I think, like, one of the fascinating pieces, this is actually a very big difference between the two of them, is that, like, I wrote that to process those feelings, whereas you have the philosophy that you don't write about it until you've processed it. Yeah. And I, I see both as, yeah. as valuable. Go ahead. The punchline is death that the first arc is about me trying to murder the version of my high school self that lives in my brain, who's just constantly had a crush on the girl I had a crush on in high school ever since then. Mm. And the idea for that narrative never did start even until I finally had like a moment of like, oh, I'm over her. Yeah. <laughs> having a crush on a woman is very much a part of mine as well. And like the, the sort of like my self-discovery in, in, you know, while, while making the story and, and reflecting on it and processing it is it's not the person that I'm obsessed with. It's the feeling. 
and mm-hmm. it's called overjoyed because I was trying not to get over a person, but over the feeling. I'm trying mm-hmm. to get over joy. <laughs> and I'm trapped because I have too much joy. It is, I am, <laughs> I am overjoyed. There's too much joy going on, and I need to cope with the fact that, like, I am, like, I felt so much joy with this person, and that person is gone, and I am left with nothing but the feeling. I'm not going to... <laughs> I bet the character Joy in Overjoyed wouldn't get it. That's true. <laughs> Uh, and and just to complete the number of of um, entendres. entendres in this, the person that I met that made me feel this way was a woman named Joy. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Sometimes the the banger titles just fall it, into your lap. Look, like my first one was called <laughs> the Indies. It's a really tough one to Google. <laughs> I may not have chosen wisely with that first title, but uh, I love it. Um. On this note, uh, a very dear friend of mine has very, very crippling depression. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was talking about how going to Disney World as an adult recently was the first time she ever actually felt joy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what the fuck? You guys just can feel this all the time? And I'm like, oh, not all the time. I only get it when I'm dating someone. And (laughs) it was just a moment of like, Oh, so much about you makes sense now. <laughs> Do you want to know something? Like, I've only ever been to Disney World as a as as a as a wee bab or Disneyland. I don't remember mm-hmm. the difference between the two. Um, pretty sure it was the Florida one. Anyway, I remember it being super cool, and I remember like being able to get glimpses of how like of like the. The smoke and mirrors, the the way that the illusion is created to make it seem so incredibly happy. There's mm-hmm, a particular mm-hmm. bit where uh, you you're walking down and there's like this this city skyline, and you just you you're walking down and it's kind of like roped off and you see the city off in that direction. Mm-hmm. It is a perspective trick. It has props that are sized and tilted the right way to make it seem like it goes like miles in that direction. It goes about like. If, 50 yards mm-hmm. and it's and it's like i just i like oh that's cool and then i like looked at it for a second and i was like wait no something's wrong and like just enough to cause the Ill- illusion to shimmer and it was mm-hmm. kind of disturbing but in a cool way it's like <laughs> i'm a firm believer in in the con in like the the uh sort of like fantasy concept of glamour where mm-hmm. like the the beautiful thing turns ugly or the ugly thing can be beautiful and I love those little moments when I can like see through the glamour of the world and be like, hey, that's cool. When it comes to writing darkly, mm-hmm. you already mentioned my rule of I don't write about something unless I've processed mm-hmm. it. Um, and that goes into my whole plan with writing darkly. It's like if I want to make my audience feel some dank shit, I need to know the way out myself first. Right. Uh, there's certainly like, I know a lot of people who do art for therapy and they might know the may not know their way out before they start writing. Um, my, my recommendation is to do that, but find the way out before you start publishing. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a way to avoid regret. That's something I'm glad I, I learned. <laughs> I've definitely read some, there, there's a, 
there's an anime uh, called Rising of the Shield Hero. I'm not going to spend too much time talking about it, but boy, howdy, it's written. The only thing that makes sense is it was written by someone who went through something very similar to what I went through, but hadn't like learned the lessons, hadn't processed it by the time he started publishing or at least writing it. And oh boy, it shows. (laughs) How much of your love of writing darkly is just the aesthetic just because like it it looks cool to you or feels cool not zero (laughs) but it's not all of it um there's certainly a level of it's what i like consuming so it's what i like Mm -hmm. making but that's not always the case with everyone with art like sometimes they like making something completely different than what they consume both anachronistic and of this light are very different kinds of dark Mm. uh and part of that's because the medium, part of that's because of the story. But, like, I wouldn't call Anachronistic a horror. There are, uh, there's one episode I would say goes into some, some like, existential cosmic horror shit. But, like, that episode was cool. overall, <laughs> overall, it's a, it's a sad sci-fi story. Um, and it's, it's trying to get across some feelings of futility. Uh, and, like, <laughs> I think overall kind of a message of, like, what do you do when the thing that you were kind of like banking your whole life on is not within your grasp? Mm. <laughs> Whereas of this light is very much more about getting away from trauma, getting distance and trying to heal, finding a way to be safe when you've not been safe for a very long time. Um, and I think the aesthetics that go with that are very different from each other, so to speak. Did that actually answer your question? Because I, 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 I'm, I'm realizing I think you meant aesthetics in a more general sense. When you're creating, what gives you safety? Where do you find safety in your creations? Hmm. Because you create bad places and bad situations, and you lead us, the reader, out. Mm-hmm. Where is your where is your safety? And here's actually like a really specific one uh, to talk about uh, the the Valentine's Day episode of uh, of Anachronistic. Mm-hmm. That was really real, and to hear you mm-hmm. act it was really real. But the way that you cut it and edit it made it clear that no, I'm acting right now. I'm acting from mm-hmm. a place that I have been, you know, and I'm writing and acting from experience of like really deep sadness. And also like that that episode was like it was it was sad, but it was definitely that cathartic sad that you talked about. He's sad because he got for a moment what he always wanted and he couldn't keep it, but he had it for just for for just enough to know that he could have it and it's heart-wrenching and when you are when you performed it you sobbed but then the episode was over and you kind of like concluded it with with your regular outro which was very like you know professional and hey this is this has been a show i hope you liked it you know and it felt safe mm-hmm. when you go to these places what keeps you safe I definitely am able to keep myself grounded in reality. I am able to feel it like these are characters. I'm not like that one in particular. There's actually three 
points in my artistic career where I actively put myself in a bad place when making it. Acting that was actually one of them. That's the joy of editing, if I could record that outro the next day. Yes, that's true. <laughs> um, so there was that. There was uh, every time I had to go over the scene in Anachronistic uh, with the uh, alternate universe cop, Neil, mm -hmm. that whole fight, uh, that was also a bad place. And the end of chapter three of OTL when Cass finally realizes what's been happening to him, mm -hmm. um, writing that. Um, and in all three of those cases, like, I'd thought about these for a while. I already knew how they were going to resolve, and I knew that they were going to resolve. Mm -hmm. While it was a bad place that I put myself into, it was controlled. Mm -hmm. How how easy, like, this is a question I don't actually know, but it might be too personal, so feel free to come sure. out. But how easy is it for you to cry? Um, okay. Oh, all right, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, um, I'm, I'm trying to pinpoint exactly when in my life it happened. I think it was my early 30s. I grew mm. up in Virginia, and uh, it, boys don't cry. Mm-hmm. There's a particular three-letter word that begins with F that was a label for boys who cry. You you don't cry. It's not what you do. You don't. That's just not what boys do. And then, around the age of 30, I decided that's stupid bullshit. Stupid. <laughs> that's yeah. stupid fucking bullshit. It might have been earlier, it might have been later. I don't remember. It's around there. It's like late late 20s, early 30s, around there. I uh, definitely moved to, moved to Seattle at that point. And I was just like, fuck the police. Fuck, mm -hmm. fuck this stupid shit. There's some shit that makes me cry. And I'm fucking tired of holding it back. Do you know what holding it back feels like? Acid. It feels like burning acid. And every time I choke back tears, I'm just like, this feels like shit. For what? Because I'm told I'm not supposed to? This is a human emotion I'm feeling. Who's with me? People who give a fuck? No, I'm going to fucking cry. And um, I just made a conscious decision you know, around, the, around my, you know early adult life where I just like, no, nah, I'm going to cry. Mm -hmm. I have been judged by partners on this. I'm no longer with those partners. I have mm -hmm. also been not judged by partners. Those were good partners. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Crying's fucking dope. <laughs> crying is awesome you should do it and uh and yeah no i know uh, some stuff that like oh if uh, do i need a good cry oh i can i uh there's certain music certain songs that hit just right uh certain movies uh the the scene there's a few scenes in how to train your dragon that'll get me every fucking time uh when um when hiccup touches toothless's face for the first time that fucking gets me like every time and i watch that movie like 50 times mm-hmm Centaur World's really good at it. There's got some moments in there. Uh, let's see. Nimona got me. Nimona got me real fucking good. It tends to be 
animated things or music. Mm-hmm. And I, if I need to get it out, then I'm going to get it out. I'm going I'm going to get go to one of those places and get it. And most of those things do indeed have very happy endings. The very end of um of uh of How to Train Your Dragon is so relatable to me because he like I'm missing my left thumb. Uh, I once mm-hmm. woke up in bed to discover that a piece of me is gone forever. And that is a unique experience. When Hiccup wakes up in bed, uh, we- realizing that his leg is gone and he's got this kind of jank little like prosthetic and he he toughs it up. He gets ready to walk on it. He stumbles and then Hiccup catches, or then Toothless catches him. I'm just like, oh my God, this is that feeling. That's it. You nailed it. That's the feeling. Yeah, no, I fucking love to cry. When it's when it's time to cry, I fucking love it. Let it out. It's vital. I don't I don't want I don't want to drink drink battery acid anymore because that's what it feels like <laughs> to hold the fucking tears in. Same general upbringing, uh, but I, despite having I believe processed away any uh, complex about it, I still find it just a really hard. Like I just it is hard to cry. Mm. Not that I am. I, 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 it is not that I hold myself back from crying. It is that things that make me actually want to cry are very few and far between. And most of them are not media. They are mostly real life things that happen, yeah. real life situations I find myself gotcha. in. To that end, when a piece of media can make me cry, it's very cathartic. Um, Jeff Poff brings up One Piece. One Piece was actually really remarkable to me because it got me like, I think three times in one arc. Again, like I don't have a complex about it. It's just that's just not normally something that happens. So I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, good, good you on know, you. You know, it's funny. This goes uh, back to like the the heart of the conversation. It's telling me mm-hmm. some that something's going to make me cry is not a good sell for me. Oh, I, <laughs> yeah, uh, not not what I'm getting at here. Um, when but when you were uh, asking about how do I stay safe and you know in what I make those three moments I mentioned all made me cry and it was the most cathartic cry because it was fiction. It was from my experience, but I was so close to it. Like it, it was so close that it felt like I was getting release nice Got from it. what yeah. I'd been through without actually having any of the real life things that normally cause the crying. Got it. Kyle. Yes. How do you feel about edgy camp? I do love it. <laughs> Could you define for me? Give me a give me a textbook definition. What is edgy camp? I would describe edgy camp as, and this is a more personal definition, but it is the thing that you thought was cool in high school, and then you grew up a little bit and realized it wasn't actually cool, mm. but part of you, deep in your heart, knew that yes, it was. It was always cool. That's what edgy camp is. <laughs> and uh i guess it's more in a more general term it is something that if you had written it like now see this i'm going all personal with it because it's it it's stuff that is so dark it's cringe (laughs) but the cringe is good actually It, it is very kill not the part of you that is cringe it is kill the part that cringes okay okay all right all right this is this is a direction and frequently, yeah, it, it is what I was talking about before. Of like, it's it it's darkness without a point. It's edge without a point. It is. <laughs> so what you're saying That's is it. 
the dark thing doesn't need a purpose to be good. Yeah, but it's what's good about it is going to change in that case. Is there a starting point and a middle point and an ending point to writing a good dark story? Oh, absolutely. Like all of the writing advice we've given, like it's going to be by the person. I like to start with kind of the the catharsis Mm. and work backwards Mm. with that. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, one of my early problems with OTL is I didn't quite know where to start it um, because I wanted to tell the story or non story non linearly, uh, and I did start kind of with the catharsis. I started with where I'm at now in the comic with Cass having escaped the the dark world and trying to heal. Mm. Um, and I do think it is a nice, compelling standalone story from where it starts. It's just not where I chose to start i i like starting with where you're going to end up that way you don't lose sight of the good thing that will happen at the end to make the bad stuff worth it what makes a bad ending cathartic is i think of all right dead poet society that things did not go well (laughs) in that Mm -hmm. story it ends most people are kind of in a bad situation and like uh green mile two protagonists ended up like well one ended and the other didn't (laughs) (laughs) um hamilton the the good guy died before he could finish his work uh he had some fuck-ups along the way but he didn't deserve to die at that point and he had more he was going to do Ah, Pan's Labyrinth. How much do you remember about Pan's Labyrinth? <sighs> Not enough. Mm. The The protagonist goes to Fantasyland, but the real world continues without her, and it sure seems like she died. Mm-hmm. Hard to say, because the only reason she'd be alive is that she actually did go to Fantasyland. Mm-hmm. But the bad guy gets there real good. Tell, tell my son the hour at which I died. Tell him, no. He won't even know your name. Bang. <laughs> oh, it's the darkest. Oh, it's the darkest it's ever been. I love it. I love it so much. Um, And yeah, 300, they lost. They died. It was over. Big, big loss. But where do we go from that? De- Dead Poet Society, the students show that they learned. Like, yeah, they're still stuck in this bad place. And, the, and the, their hero is getting f- fired and their friend died. But they're like... No, we heard you. This was not for nothing. Green Mile. The good entity died, but the fact that he existed and the good that he did was remembered. Hamilton. Eliza. (laughs) You already told us. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Bad guy got it. Family was able to escape bad war shit. 300. The Greeks pushed the Persians out and Persians out and it was it was all right they managed they managed what what makes a bad ending cathartic there's kind of two primary answers to that I think the first is that though the ending was tragic something was accomplished mm. if you know maybe by the main character maybe for the world um and anachronistic I'd say yeah like Neil had a very bad ending but he kind of 
learned a lesson and found peace before he died, which wouldn't have happened if the rest of the story hadn't happened. In Hamilton, I'd say it's more the fact that it, he did leave a legacy, yeah. uh, which was something he was concerned about. And what did kind of lead to his downfall was his, like, Obsession his, with legacy. Yeah. Uh, but he did end up getting one anyways, in a way that's kind of proves that, like, he didn't need to obsess about it, because of course he was. He was a great man. There's always a, a, a sacrifice that the protagonist leaves the world in a better spot. Mm. Um the sort of classical answer to this question is that there is catharsis itself in watching a failed person or a failed <laughs> a flawed person's flaws have consequences mm. um there, there's sort of a reminder of that like uh the shakespearean tragedies really come to mind uh each of those stories is tailor-made for the protagonist of them mm. Um, the, the example I'd give is like, if you put Othello in Hamlet, there wouldn't be a problem. If you put Hamlet in Othello, there wouldn't be a problem. It's because Othello is in Othello and Hamlet's in Hamlet that things go to shit. Yeah, I like this. And that's because throughout that, we're watching, again, a, a character that maybe we're rooting for, maybe we're not, have a, a core fact of their character that again faces consequences it's almost like even if you do like these characters it's kind of like you're rooting for consequences for someone like that because it is ultimately a negative trait you know you're, you're you're rooting for the downfall of selfishness you're rooting for the downfall of uh paranoia you're that sort of thing i don't get as much out of those personally but it is definitely a thing I know uh, a lot of people do get stuff out of. Oh, there's a there's a word for, you know, taking joy in the pain of others or the misfortune of a Schadenfreude. Okay, that's it. Yeah, no, that that is actually a feeling, and I think in the classics it's uh, handled in a much more less mean spirited way, in a much less mean spirited way rather. Have you ever watched Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? I have not. Uh, yeah. I have watched many parts of the movie and then read the rest in order to fill in the gaps. Uh, that mm. movie was too depressing for me to finish in, in as a movie, and I needed to tap mm -hmm. out and and just get just get the plot told to me. Do mm. you know Do you know what it's about? Do you know what happens? Uh, long story, but no, I do not. Okay, I, I have a, I have an interesting relationship with the story. I know almost nothing. All about. right, uh, I'm going to give a synopsis of the movie uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, this will be spoilers, just in case you 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 haven't seen it or still want to. Guy and girl meet, have a relationship. Relationship starts great, ends bad. Um, guy gets a card that says, uh, your uh, your partner has deleted you from her brain. Please do not contact her. She won't know who you are. Uh, he reacts to this in completely rational, that's fucked ways, right? Uh, and mm. then goes on some self-discovery, and that self-discovery leads to the same facility that says, oh, yeah, we can totally delete her from your memory, too. So he agrees to this process and then uh, goes through a, it, starring Jim Carrey, of course, it goes through... Everything that has been like super serious and dark and grounded up until this point goes Jim Carrey nut shit where uh, <laughs> he's experiencing his memories being deleted and how a memory is connected to other memories and other memories and how like 
meeting someone will kind of like reframe things earlier in your life and how like his entire life just turns into surreality as like this core thing that touched so much of who he is like is deleted then he leaves the facility having no memory of his girlfriend and the ending of that movie is um the guy and the girl who had the relationship that was bad run into each other meet each other for the first time the second time and are clearly going to get back together now that they have deleted each other from their mind too painful for me to actually watch as a movie one of the most genius conclusions ever yeah you need those hurts that's how you learned <laughs> i feel like that is a solid thing to mostly end on anyways do you want to, do you want to give us a wrap-up there is extreme benefit in writing darkly just keep in mind what you're writing darkly for and make sure that that is what you want <laughs> This is kind of what it comes down to. Uh, are you are you trying to deliver catharsis? Are you trying to go, haha, this is so dark? Like both good. There, there isn't a wrong answer. Just have an answer. <laughs> I like that, yeah. Today is November 2nd, 2023. I'm Jer. Kyle's here. Hey Kyle. Hello. And I'm gonna talk about some comics that I found on Kickstarter that are trying to get backing right now, and you should back them because they're great. And the first one I found is called The Rat Thieves and Raven the Merchant by Connor Orskovic and Tyler Brown. This is two short comics uh, created by two artists as a team. And so each one has its own short in in uh, introduction. Uh, first one, The Rat Thieves. Sicily must protect her brother Basil by stealing food to survive. Later on, the two orphans are swept up into an evil plot to stop an anarchist from assassinating the queen. That escalated rather rapidly. <laughs> Secondly, uh, Raven the Merchant. Uh, from tectonic snails to trees that turn into birds, MX Raven has more to deal with than just making potions. This book explores the supernatural world of two bird witches. So these are really tiny, cute, little, uh, like, black and white comics. I feel like it's kind of like the stapled together ash can sort of thing. Uh, one of the ones, one of the books that I reviewed recently was um, "No Bunny Loves You." If you remember that one, uh, I think this yeah. seems like the same spirit of just like, "Hey, we're gonna have some fun. We're just gonna have some fun and make some fun comics. Really fun and comical. Like they, these guys just love ink. Like it is definitely ink on paper, and or you know what? It might actually not be ink on paper. That might be just digital, but it's it's black and white all the same." And, like, just the way that they create just ink shapes, ink textures, compositional blacks. It's just, they're just having fun. They're having absolute fun. Uh, reminds me, like, a little bit of, like, a a simplified version of Hell of a Boss. Also kind of reminds me of uh, of India Swift's doodles uh, from, from Doing Swift. Uh, mm -hmm. Just really cute, really fun, pleasant little stories. And they're cheap. They're actually really, really, uh, I think it's just a couple of bucks to uh, to get both of them. So they were only looking for $300, and they totally made that. It's, we're at $326. So it's just a cute little project. It's just a nice little project. Um, It's adorable. Yeah, uh, 13 backers, and they got it done. And still, still 27 days to go. So that's a really easy one to grab. You just want something cute and fun.
Next up is The Fox Came From the Woods by Daniel Brown and Elliot Min, a.k.a. New, N-I-W. Let's see. The Fox Came From the Woods is a horror adventure series that follows Frankie as she searches to unravel the mystery of what happened to her younger sister, Anastasia. She disappeared a year ago. Is she dead? Alive? Or are there darker, more mysterious, more mystical forces at work on this small island town? Frankie will have to cross a barrier between realms to discover the truth, with monsters, demons, and fairies at every turn. To survive, she'll have to rely on a supernatural fox, Tomos. But can she really trust him? This is a manga. This looks like a manga. It feels like a manga. It's just utterly manga style. Uh, it was described as Nancy Drew by the way of Junjei Ito and uh, what was the other one? Giver. I've never seen Giver. Hmm. But we're looking at, like... At one page, it's it's slice of life. It's doing that manga thing where, where hey, they're drawing an establishing shot. They drew fucking every detail. Like the table full of food. It's just like the the fullest breakfast with the window and the and the counter and, and, and like the point perspective is on point. And it's just yeah, here's here's just every detail. And then and then they get into the actions in the next scene of like yeah, this food's gross. I'm looking at black and white with grays and those uh, manga ink tones that you it, most people can recognize. Really just like toothy demons, big fox monsters, uh this creature is just unfolding its flesh to become horrifying. And that's that's fox demon monster girl lady. Some stuff's going on. Uh interestingly, uh one of the cover illustrations was drawn by Alex Ahad, who's one of the uh illustrators for Skullgirls. So uh seemed to be connected uh to to some friends on this one. We are nearly at our goal. It was looking for 2,500, and we're just over 2,000 with 79 backers. So it's got some, got some following. Just needs a little bit more. 20 days to go. Almost there. And this is also the second issue. So you can grab this one, and uh, you can grab this one to get the second one and probably pick up the first one as well. Can you pick up the first one as well? I'm sure you can. I usually double check before I, before I say. It's fine. I trust they did. They have add-ons now, so it's like it's really easy to just say, "Oh, are you getting this one? Hey, do you want the first one? You can just add that on at the second page." Last one I've got is called "The Storm Stained" by Crystal Yates. Oh, this is this is a this is design. <laughs> this is graphic design. Violent, magic-consuming storms have left fairy kind wingless for generations, but that hasn't stopped them from adapting and thriving, finding new and exciting ways to harness magic once more. But those in power are caught up in, a, in the promises of ages past. An ancient prophecy has promised uh, a winged vessel will contain the storms and return their wings, and the herald is determined to make that happen. But is the prophecy true? Is the prophecy true, or is it a fairy tale holding them back from forging their own destiny through technology? A malcontent gang of rejected chosen ones certainly seems to think the prophecy is true. And they're set on convincing Callisto, the latest wing-blessed protege, that the prophecy isn't just a sham. And it it's... Oh, wait. They're trying to convince him that it, the prophecy isn't just a sham. It's a deadly trap that she needs to get out of before it's too late. I misinterpreted that. But who is telling her the truth? Okay. This reminds me, actually, a lot of our friend Egypt or Nash. Uh, the artist of decrypting Rita and uh, and and uh, other incredible stories. It's like it has her sort of sense of like uh, vector art, sh like characters through vector art shape, where they gut the anatomy and they just like cut it 
in like really crisp, like almost no outlines to make these really colorful fairy characters. I love the way that they've created, like these are fairies that don't have wings, so they have digital wings. Like every one of them has like, they look like computer chips or just like like spaceship parts, but they're glowing pixie wings. It's really, really, really cool idea, really cool style. It's like lots of movement, lots of emotion, and just like designed by graphic designers. I feel like Chris, Crystal Yates is like coming from a graphic design standpoint to create the pages and create the, the world that, that we're seeing here. Super cool. I like fairies. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> How are we doing on this one? Ah, uh, oh, we're, we're, we're asking for what we're worth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so big goal. We're looking for uh, 14K. Uh, it's translated from Canadian into U.S. Uh, we've only got a couple of thousand, though, so we still got a long way to go. This needs tons of attention in order to get printed, but I like it when people ask for what they're worth because you know what? Comics are a lot of work to make. That is the comic shop for this week. Kyle, where can people find links? There will be links in the show notes as well as on your website. Which is jer.art. Just go to Jer's crowdfunded comic shop and click there. You'll get links to these and all the comics I talk about on the show. Kyle! Yes? I read a comic book. Ooh, what did you read? I read Fun Home by Alison Bechdel. Ooh. This is not... A um, this is not an indie title. This is this is a well published title, but it's one of my favorite comics. It's I've had this for a while. It's dog eared, unfortunately. Um, do you know who Alison Bechdel is? I do. Oh, I've in fact read Fun Home. Ah, good. <laughs> uh, Alison Bechdel is a uh, a incredible comic artist. Uh, she is. What was the name of the the main one? Uh, Dykes to watch out for. <laughs> That's the one that most people know her for, and most people are very familiar with what is known as the Bechdel test, which was a uh, a sort of tongue-in-cheek uh, way to assess whether a movie's narrative like acknowledged that women are people. <laughs> and uh, I believe uh, the 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 test. I I actually don't have it written down in front of me. I'm trying to remember it off. Uh, um, uh, it is. It, go ahead. Uh, are there uh, two women in the thing? Do they talk to each other about something that is not a man? Correct. I believe those are the two only two uh, simulations. Yes, and then the last the last movie that they had seen was Alien, where two women talked to each other about an alien. <laughs> <laughs> so, Fun Home is an autobiographical story of of Allison's upbringing and her relationship with her father, who was an awful person, who was a terrible human being. It is told out of order. In fact, the first thing we learn about her father is that he appears to have committed suicide. And like that's the end of his life. And then we go through Allison's upbringing, her relationship with him. He was a uh, closeted homosexual with a you know heterosexual, like married to a woman with a family, did some pretty awful abusive things to uh to boys and men that he was attracted to was just a bad person and it's a kind of like verbally abusive a little bit physically abusive it, Allison talks about like coming out as a lesbian with a closeted gay father <laughs> <laughs> and what a struggle it was it is a really dark 
dense, real story. It ends, again, non-chronologically, with a moment in the middle of, of Allison's life. She's an adult at this point, and she had a conversation with her father, who is now out and now basically just, you know, accepting that he's gay. She's obviously accepting that she's gay. And they had a conversation about being gay. And it was tense and not really satisfying, but it was like her one moment of connecting to him. It is an incredible piece of of comic literature. Uh, Kyle, you've read it. Any thoughts on it? Oh, yeah. It's been a while, but yeah, no, that's an important one. Very much a uh, my style of put put your life in a blender and pulse it once. <laughs> and <laughs> here's a salad for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, art is, I mean, like, Alison Bechdel has a very specific style. It's, uh, I, I have a hard time, like, describing it other than it's her. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's ink work with, with, like, monotone color. Uh, the, the hue she uses for the entire thing is, like, blue tones. And, like, the characters are very, very human. Mm-hmm. The the expressions on their faces are typically upset, angry, depressed, sad, dour. People don't typically appear as happy in in Al, in this particular uh, book, and that's because they're not. Mm-hmm. Shit's bad. Uh, <laughs> everyone is pretty grumpy, and and a, an expression of like anything other than grump is actually kind of like a, a, a moment in this story. It's fantastic. Ah. <sighs> Uh, the fun home is actually the funeral home because her father was a funeral home di- director. Mm-hmm. That that is why it is called Fun Home. It is it is known as a family tragic comic. Let's see. Uh, fun Home is published by Mariner Books, which is a significant publisher. I believe they're um oh I don't remember. They're actually a subsidiary of of a uh, a really big one that I don't remember. So definitely not an indie title this week, but one of my favorite pieces of comic literature. You should read it, especially if you're happy and you want to feel sad right now. <laughs> I actually didn't plan it that way. It just, it, that's just how it happened. I was, I was wondering if you picked that, uh, that one particularly for this episode. I, didn't, I just haven't read anything like, like small and indie for a little bit. And like the ones that I have, like on my, on my list to, to talk about, like I haven't read them recently enough to really talk about them. So it's like, Ooh, what, what kind of, Ooh, what about, I'll tell you about what, something I know well. <laughs> what, what about something that's fucking incredible? Yeah, that's that's a good one. I there's a very early scene that really stuck with me of like her like observing an autopsy for I think it was the first time, and she was like way yeah. too young to be observing an autopsy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. Now, my favorite thing about it is the absolutely like deliberate use of non non chronological storytelling, where mm-hmm. the end of the story is the one time she and her father ever connected. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 like, it, like, the actual end of the story is fucking tragic. He died, he got hit by a car, and they found him, like, the next day, and it's like, he super fucking died. Let's wake up one morning dead by a car. And they're like, was he wandering in traffic? Was he trying to kill himself? It's, it's like, then it's unknown. It's unknowable. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like the sort of, like, uh, one of the things she talks about is like the the anti 
the anti-catharsis of dad just gone one day. Mm -hmm. Can I rant to you about a dumb decision I made when making art? Yes. I have, I kind of decided when I started this most recent chunk of OTL as a chapter, so to speak, that uh, each time I do a new mm. issue, I would try a different pipeline, like a right. new way of getting my pages done and like an order of doing the work to try and find something that would work better for me. That that tracks because like you, you've said before that like uh, you you like coming up with, with new systems, with new, new habits every, every three months or so. Yeah. Um, and so like each update, you know, the, or the, each issue, the idea was to, you know, try out a different way of doing things. Um, except I found one that was just really bad. <laughs> this is a bad one. I don't like this one. And I didn't realize how much I hated it until like now. <laughs> what is your current process, Kyle? For this one, I decided to go through the entire, I think it ended up being 16, 17 page, uh, uh, yeah, 16 page update, maybe 18 pages, whatever, and do all of the sketching, and then all oh, of God. the line work, and then Ugh. all of the filling, oh, and then God. all of the details. No. Yeah. No, no I, I, I would die. I haven't I actually. I would die if that's how I had to do it. Yeah, I haven't actually technically finished a page this entire time, even though I've worked on about all the pages. No, that sounds super duper I, awful. I couldn't I, stand. I would never be able to do that, not even for a day. You, you want to know? You know what? Want to know what realize, made me realize this was so bad? What's that? I finished this panel just because I needed to finish something, and mm -hmm. the like feeling of joy mm -hmm. I got when I finished something entirely. Like the the physical response I had made me realize, oh, oh, that's bad. Yeah, Jeff Jeff pops backing me up in chat. I did that for my comic too. It's Kyle's a right. bad way to do. No, I need those those little yeah. progress little tip. Okay, uh, actually, is uh the other night on Doing Swift they were talking about um like what is rest, mm -hmm. and uh there's a theory uh that they they were reading uh or so i think like there's a youtube like like essay about where it's just like what's restful typically is what your brain needs more of so mm -hmm. obviously you need sleep so that's that's uh, the standard right but like what do you do in your spare time you probably need to do what you haven't been doing with your brain mm -hmm. and so what this put me in mind of is how i play video games now I love video games. Mm -hmm. There's actually a number of video games I haven't finished. Big one that I really wish I had finished for, for our talk earlier is uh, Disco Elysium, mm -hmm. which is a very dark story, which I understand has a really hopeful ending. I have not been able to sit down and play that game. Most of the games that I've been playing are MMOs, one in particular, where I can just go in and just finish some things on a checklist. And that's, I feel like that's because the stuff that I do all day, the stuff that I work on is long form stuff that takes a long time to be complete. And I kind of just need the feeling of finishing something. Uh -huh. So you telling me that you decided to, 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 to rob yourself of that in your comic art 
sounds god awful. Uh huh. It, it it I I made a bad choice, guys. This was not it. <laughs> uh, what are are you course correcting? I see. That's the problem. I didn't really realize until like I have now touched about every single page. <laughs> Well, can you just take pages to to completion from here on in? Yes, but not not because I'm course correcting, because I've gotten to that point where it's the final step for most of the remaining uh, pages. Wow, damn, all right. I, I, I knew I didn't like it, but I didn't realize how bad it was for me until recently. Got it. I, I thought I could get by with, okay, yeah, we're just not doing that again. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna flex a little bit. Okay. See this, uh, this lady doing like a little little cartwheel flip that I drew. Uh, uh, I fucking like. Typically, I would have to rotate the the, the canvas to get that working right. Mm-hmm. I th- I did that whole thing. I got a I got a little Pinterest picture over here, but like I did that just from this angle. I just I just kept. I drew her upside down without spinning my my paper. I'm all proud mm-hmm. of that. I did it. I did the good. I did something. That I've wanted to do for a long fucking time. What was that? Have you ever seen Star Wars? Yes. <laughs> Would you say you know Star Wars pretty well? More more than your average various. Do you know what Star War what George Lucas based Star Wars on? Uh a number of things. Yes. One of those things was a movie by uh, Akira Kurosawa, uh, The Hidden Fortress. Mm-hmm. I've been meaning to sit down and watch A Hidden Fortress for, like, forever. Like, since I was still in Virginia. I remember just hanging out with my friends, like, oh, man, you like a friend of mine was the big Kurosawa fan. He really liked uh, uh, Seven Samurai. And was like, man, we should just sit down and watch uh, Hidden Fortress. And we never got around to it. I had in mind bringing this to the table as a joke. Where I would say, hey, Kyle, I watched an anime, and then describe the anime as if it was uh, a Star Wars anime. <laughs> I I couldn't do that for two reasons. Number one, I had already told Kyle that I had watched Hidden Fortress before I thought, oh, this would be a good thing to talk about on the podcast. And number two, the joke has already been done the best way ever by Pat Blavain from The Super Best Friends. So if you want to hear the joke that I would have told... Go to uh, the uh, episode 104 of the Super Best Friend cast. Uh, the title of that episode is The DBZ Fan Fiction Review. <laughs> Jump to uh, one hour and 17 minutes. That way you will skip their whole joke about horseporn.com. <laughs> There's a reason I don't usually recommend Super Best Friends to people. <laughs> they have a sense of humor. It is a particular sense of humor. But ju- jump to an hour and 17 of uh, Super Best Friend Cast episode 104. Not, not Castle Super Beast 104. Super Best Friends Cast 104. Uh, the DBZ fan fiction review. And listen to Pat describe a Dragon Ball fan fiction that he read. That's the joke I would have told tonight. <laughs> anyway, that's an old movie. It does make me wonder. Mm-hmm. I, uh... Final Fantasy twelve. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one I never was quite able to get through. But I one thing I did notice about it is like, oh boy, howdy, it's very Star Wars. I wonder if it is really Star Wars or if it's Hidden Fortress. I've got some takeaways having watched this film. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Kurosawa, cool. This movie is from the 1950s, so it's real early. Um, pacing, it had not evolved yet, and so it's pacing's a little odd, but not bad. Not bad. Like I've seen other other older films, no problem. I would like to watch more Kurosawa. I need to see Seven Samurai. That's like his like everyone's favorite, right? Mm-hmm. It's honestly the first Kurosawa film I've watched end to end. He's a good filmmaker. First takeaway: anime is Kurosawa's fault. <laughs> if this is an anime, this is a proto anime. The way that the characters talk, the way that they're written, the way that they whine and complain, the way that the badass is a badass and how you show that he's a badass, like, it has anime structure. Or stru- anime has Kurosawa structure. <laughs> it is really easy to have Kurosawa as a starting point and draw that straight to anime. Point number two. This is my favorite thing that I'm the single favorite thing I'm going to talk about. Kyle, are droids people? Yes. Are they treated like people? They're treated like very lower class citizens. Exactly. The first thing we see is uh, Tahe and Matatsuchi. They are two peasants. Uh, they ju- they tell us their life story in the first scene. They sold their homes to buy weapons. They took those weapons to war. The war didn't go very good. Um, they got there late. They were mistaken for losers on the other side. Their weapons were confiscated. Weapons that cost their homes. They are destitute, starving, wandering through the desert. One of them is tall. One of them is short. And these boys are just complaining about how miserable life is and to be fair it is droids are peasants (laughs) a lightsaber is a katana and a droid is a peasant they are absolutely and that like that maps to the way that droids are treated through all of star wars and that is and like thinking of that connection makes droids way more interesting. The way they're used as soldiers, the way they're used as servants, the way that they're used as, like, uh, they're spoken to as pseudo-people, and they reply to you like people, but are not really treated as people. And the whole thing where you're supposed to reset a droid's memory every once in a while because they tend to get a personality if you you don't. Like, Mm -hmm. Thinking of droids as peasants makes them make so much more sense in the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. In fact, it, uh, even when there is like a worry of a droid rebellion, it's much more peasant revolt than mm-hmm. AI singularity. Mm-hmm. I talk a little bit more. I'll, I'll kind of like walk you through like like what happens in the movie. It's um, it's it's not a New Hope one to one. But it is super clear that this thing happened is this thing in New Hope. This thing that mm-hmm. happened is this thing in New Hope. It's like, it's a different story to the point that, like, like coming away from it, I was like, okay, yeah, this is just one of the inspirations. You did take this, 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 and this, but you turned them into sci-fi. And honestly, I really respect what George Lucas created. Mm-hmm. I, it, it, is, it is, like, very easy to watch A Hidden Fortress and see what became things in Star Wars, but I would not call Star Wars a 
even like a reimagining of a hidden fortress. It's its own thing. Mm. There's no Luke. There's just Obi Wan. Mm. So the 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 master dying to so the apprentice can take over. That doesn't happen. The old there's just Obi Wan. Obi Wan's just the badass. Uh, his name, uh, Makabe Rotoroka. Rotorota. I'm not even I'm not even close to saying it right. Out of curiosity, do you know what time period this takes place in? Definitely feudal Japan, warring states, I think. Because what has happened is one territory has just beat another territory, and uh, and most of their assets are like like um in the wrong country. So, uh, princess, I'm gonna just use their Star Wars names because I'm going to butcher mm. their Japanese names because I have them written over here, and even though I've got that, I'm going to say them wrong as I just did. So, Obi-Wan is loyal to Leia. Leia, for a female character in the 1950s, fairly badass. Pretty cool. Um, she has... She's acted as kind of a screechy lady. If that makes sense. From kind of like... Think of a, think of a screechy anime character. Mm -hmm. One who only yells. But does isn't very loud, but is instead just kind of squeaky screechy. Okay. But it's to create this like there. It was to a point like I I don't think it was a very good decision, but it makes the point that like she was the character was raised as a boy, not not as a boy, but like a boy because the, her her dad had no heir, so she was the heir, mm -hmm. and so she kind of like is putting more energy into her speech so people will take her seriously. And so she is, you know, I will straight up say she's Sundere. <laughs> she, um, she doesn't like anyone. She doesn't have a romantic, uh, like, attribute here. She is trying to rebuild her clan and keep it from fucking dying because she, her general, and 300 pieces of gold, like, you know, a fortune, are uh, behind enemy lines. And they're trying to get it back home so she can rebuild with the clan with her assets, right? Mm-hmm. She's young. I think she's a young adult. Uh, no, she's 16, so she's still a teenager. Again, I, I think the, the actress was 20 or 21-ish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, like, you know, uh, there's a point where she's like, no, I'm 16, right? It's like, okay, there's an animeism. <gasps> Anime is Kurosawa's fault. Yeah, depending on... Uh, I'm, I'm not sure about, like, time period, but at, uh, that might be of age in Japan. She's definitely being in charge mm -hmm. and and obi-wan respects her as oh, you're in charge now he does have advice to her and he like kind of has to dance with her and like sell her on like i think we should do this and and he kind of like plays games to get her to go along with it mm -hmm. but and and her response is i know you're fucking playing games but that's a good idea so let's do it <laughs> no you're playing me but you're right <laughs> but you're right so that's that's kind of where we're at. So it's basically C-3PO, R2-D2, Obi-Wan, and Leia is the main cast. Was there a Han? A Han Solo? Okay. That's a good question. Kinda. There was a throwaway scene with two characters who didn't speak that helped them out a little bit and then were murdered. Okay. And I was like, that could be the seed that grew into Han and Chewie. But there was no Han and Chewie. It is definitely an old movie, and I don't think it's honestly one that's, like, I think it's it's worth watching if you're hecka curious. 
if you're in the mood for a Kurosawa movie, there's probably better Kurosawa movies to watch. I think it is fun to watch from a lens of oh, what what where did Star Wars come from? Because you'll see the Star Wars things in here. Mm-hmm. Darth Vader is absolutely there. And so I'm I'm trying to decide like how deep into the spoilers do I want to go? I, I feel comfortable so far where it's like, hey, here's here's the things that are definitely like, carried forward. There are two things I want to talk about. When Luke and Obi-Wan bring actual R2-D2 and C-3PO into Mos Eisley, Obi-Wan literally hand-waves the problem. You remember that? Yeah. Establishing what we know as the Jedi mind trick, which is different from Jedi mind tricks, which is a dope hip-hop band. All right, so yeah, the Force has has considerable control over, over the weak-minded. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right, you got some magic powers. That's that's neat. Do you know what uh, Obi-Wan does in Hidden Fortress? Some dank, clever, genius brain motherfucking shit. <laughs> to get in to get past that checkpoint. And so so he's not carrying droids. He's carrying 300 pieces of gold and he's making the peasants carry it because they're greedy. And he's like as long as they carry the gold, they'll do whatever we say to get their cut of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's kind of like, there's a lot of, of, of like hijinks involved in this. But for the most part, R2 and, and 3PO are along for the ride. They're carrying the gold. Like, you know, like, like gold men. Mm-hmm. Like some kind of golden man. That's a stretch. The fact that they are carrying 300 pieces of gold, I think, does lend to some notion of um of 3PO being gold but i know that 3PO being gold is also a reference to like um 1950s pulp uh, sci-fi comics and and like the the there was like a particular sci-fi trope that was like the the mechanical golden man or something like that that was more of a thing so i'm really stretching on this one but they were carrying a bunch of gold so obi-wan's got to get get the princess in disguise and 300 pieces of gold past the the stormtroopers. Yeah, he didn't he didn't use magic to do it. <laughs> he did. I, I'm not going to tell you what he did. That's worth watching. That's worth sitting down to watch the movie to see how he how he got through that checkpoint. Galaxy IQ fucking. Okay, three scenes later, he would get into his first fight. And you'd be like, oh, you're you're a you're a fucking murder man badass, right? So before we've ever seen him fight, he gets through that checkpoint with his brain. And you're like, oh, you're a smart man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna tell you one more thing about it. Cause hmm. I think after this, after this, it's like, yeah, let's just sit down and watch it. Kurosawa was a fight choreographer. He knew how to make a badass fight. And the first real fucking fight in the film is between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader. Some some dudes get get close to to the four and Obi-Wan's like, "All right, was trying not to fight. I got no other choice. I'm going to fight him." He mercs three dudes like that. Just fucking katana dead 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 and one of them gets away on a horse. Obi-Wan chases him down into Darth Vader's camp. (laughs) Murders that guy. Darth Vader says, Yo, Obi-Wan? 
Yo, what's up, dude? How's it been? What you what you up to? Obi Wan. Yo, hey, all right, everyone. No, no one fight this man. He will you will die. He's beyond all you. No one in this camp. Don't even fucking deal. No, he, he will he will just kill you. All right, Obi Wan. Hey, you. What's up? How you doing? How's how's it going? What's going on? Um. Okay, listen. We're on opposite sides right now. You are my very good friend. And and we are, I'm badass. You're a badass. So, what well, we good? For, all right, here's, here, I got a, a leg. Grab one of my men's spears. Just just pick which whatever one you like. I've I've got probably much the best spear in this camp. But just just pick pick a spear you like. Let's have a duel. If if I win, I I gotta take you in. If you win, I gotta let you go. All right, that's that's a fair deal. So Obi-Wan finds a spear. They fucking duel. And that duel is to fucking die for. That duel kicks ass. <laughs> that's who that's who Darth Vader is. <laughs> and and he like it's actually like in the movie of Hidden Fortress you actually get the full arc of Darth Vader in, like, three scenes. He was here, then he was here, then he was here, and we're good. <laughs> I won't tell you how it ends, but it's, it was fun. It was fun to see this. It was fun to see one of the sources of, 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 uh, of um, I almost said Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> one of the sources of Star Wars. It's some fun shit. And it's, and it's not a one-to-one -one recreation. It's, it was its own thing. It was an old movie. It's got old movie pacing and, and, and definitely, boy, is, uh, it, anime is super duper Kurosawa's fault. Like, no question. <laughs> no question. It's just anime straight out of Kurosawa. It, it's his fault. He started it. He started so many of the narrative tropes. It's incredible. Ah, uh, Hidden Fortress. I feel like I'm not as educated about the subject to really talk about it so much, but just my hobbyist looking into history has led me down a rabbit hole of various either trans or, you know, gender dubious uh, people in history. Oh, you were telling me a little bit about this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell the story. In particular, there was a member of the Japanese Shinsengumi, which is kind of a... It was kind of an early police force, really more of a, a political gang. And there was a notable member, and this they were around around the time photography was a thing, and a lot of the notable members do have photos of them taken. Uh, but there's no photography of this one particular person, and the only image we have representing them is a drawing of a female model standing in for them, essentially. Hmm. Uh, they're described as very uh, effeminate and very beautiful, and with the way Japan handles pronouns, it's very likely that they were uh, female, and we, if or at the very least, if they were female, we'd have no way of proving otherwise. So I find that fascinating. Hmm. I also like. Do you know who Canis is in mythology, Greek mythology specifically? Not by name. Uh, canonically trans, uh, canonically, uh, well, I guess, yeah, in, in Greek myth, their whole thing was, uh, uh stuff happened with Poseidon, um, that de de demonetizable stuff happened with Poseidon, and, um, 
they wished to be a man so that would never happen to them again and in addition to becoming a man they also got like in, uh, impenetrable skin and super strength dang and so they were a, a greek hero canon trans male greek hero who is a badass i think they were on the argo i think he was on the argo but i don't remember for sure mm. almost everyone ended up on the argo at some point <laughs> <sighs> it's tough for me to respond because like i have a lot of i have actually had significant number of trans persons in my life mm. and um it's a topic I, I prefer to let let them speak about. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so this is this is so far from my ex like I like like in general like I like when I hear someone's plight, I like to liken it to something in my own life so I can grasp it, so mm. I can put myself in their shoes and understand like like a, what what you're going through must be like having known many trans persons in my life and having them describe their experience to me, not only can I like not put myself in the trans experience, I struggle to imagine what coming out to one's parents must be like. That sounds rough. And at that point, I can't really relate it to anything that I've ever been through. You know, and, and like anything that I could relate it to would be kind of a stretch and it would be a conversation I have with a friend that is yeah, that I'm trying to relate to. Right. It's so tough. Like when when that's the point that I tap out <laughs> that like, man. And yet. I believe the meaning of life is to define thyself and. I don't think anyone does that more strongly than trans persons. Mm -hmm. Respect. Love and respect, you guys. I find it fascinating because these were all myths that were not secret knowledge, were not hidden yeah. away, and yet they were myths that even when I was on big mythology, well, like Canis in particular, yeah, that's not a secret one. We've known about that one for ages. He, he I, I, I ate up Greek mythology when I was a kid. Never once, mm. never once did that one come up in any of the material I was allowed. Do you know? And, do you know what it you know puts me in mind of is uh, uh, one one friend who was transitioning uh, pretty recently uh, went went through a few of the hiccups that one does in this in in that experience and uh, a particular phrase that I really uh, I really like is it's always something when it should be nothing, mm -hmm. and it. When I hear about historical, you know, gay characters and 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 figures and and you know people that existed that were oh yeah you were you were probably you know homosexual, uh, you were probably trans like the notion that it wasn't a thing, mm -hmm. you know no that just happened, and that's nice because then it became a thing and and now it's still kind of a thing but what if it was nothing. Mm -hmm. What if that's just a thing that happened, and we don't, we barely need to react? Oh, yeah, of course. There's a person, there's a guy that wanted to be that you know lived his life as a girl, her her, her life as a girl, and it's like, yeah, that that happened because people do that. It's not a thing. Uh another way of looking at it, 
I don't remember that I'm missing a thumb. Most of the time, I forget that that I have an injury because it doesn't impair me. You know, it just kind of fades into the background, and most of the time, is not a thing. And then, you know, when when a friend like has transitioned and has become like their 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 more authentic self, it just stops being a thing. Yeah, no, that's just you. There's not a thing involved about this. You're you're you. <laughs> and and you're and you're like a more authentic and more like like accurate you now. And it's not a thing. It's just normal. <laughs> that's how I want it to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's, what, that's how it's best. And like yeah, looking at the historical stuff and the, and the mythological stuff is just like yeah, it wasn't a thing. Uh, yeah, that they wrote the story about this guy that was it would, no it was a girl and he was, and she was just like no I, I'm a girl I'm, I'm better this way and I was like yeah that's cool. Mm-hmm. Kyle, mm-hmm. could you take us out please? People get different things out of art. Making something dark can be cathartic for you and your audience. So, if you've got something to draw, draw it. You probably won't die.